0: Lord God, we ask today that you would open our ears to hear your word. You'd open our hearts to receive your love. God, that you would be so powerfully present in this place. That today would be the day that our lives would changed forever. And we believe this because of the power and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So those who know me. Um, even just for a few minutes, know that I can tend to get emotional at times. Whether it is, hey, oh, you do know me, I see that. Whether it's uh, I'm hearing a story or sharing an emotional story, I, I tend to get a little choked up. I get that lump in my throat. Sometimes the tears uh, begin to form a little bit around my eyes. Um, I used to like to say it was the contacts that I wore and I just had you know very dry eyes. But, but people know that I get very emotional and, and really I just have to own it. Many, many things make me emotional. I get emotional you know hearing these stories of people. I get get emotional watching things on TV. I don't know if anybody's with me on that, but there was a show a few years ago, some of you may remember it, it was called Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Remember that? And this guy, Ty Pennington, would go and he'd fix up a house for people and they had some kind of story. And I'm telling you, they would just show the preview for next week's episode and I was bawling. I couldn't even make it through the three-minute preview, just a a glimpse of their story and I would cry. There were so many things. and, And watching sports, Makes me cry. I I don't know what it is. Um, How many of you know that Dwayne Wade, the great basketball player, is retired? It's his last season. They're doing, have you seen these tribute videos? As my friend said, they'll make your eyes sweat. They were making my eyes sweat watching these tribute videos to this basketball player. and, And I just get so emotional and so obviously. Movies are one of the things that I cry at. Is, am I alone this morning? Does anyone else cry at a movie? Maybe one movie you've cried at, all right? And there are too many movies that I've cried at to remember, although I do have to draw the line somewhere. I did not cry in Castaway when Wilson the Volleyball left, okay? I am sorry. I had to draw the line in Volleyball. You can pray for me, but you can understand that... All right, well, maybe I did cry a little bit. Let me be completely honest this morning, all right? I get emotional at almost every kind of story like that. And it's often those stories of of, of loss, those stories of deep, deep pain and deep sorrow that can bring that out in us, can it not? And while there are too many movies that I've cried at to remember, there's one that I do remember very strongly. And it was a movie called Stand By Me, and it came out when I was about 15 or 16 years old. And it was a story of four uh, young boys, like around age 11, 12, 13. And they hear about um, the body of a missing boy has been found dead in the woods. And so they go on this little trip to, to find this dead body. And the uh, main character is, is mourning and grieving the death of his older brother. And so it's just a movie that deals with death, right and left, you know, front and back. And at the time the movie came out, uh, my piano teacher at the time, Mr. Allen, was in the hospital and he was dying of cancer. And I think all of that kind of collided in my mind. And I just remember at the end of that movie, just bawling and just crying. And and as I think about it, one of the things about me is that my life has been marked by death in many ways. When I was just about nine or 10 years old in third grade, one of my good friends died on the playground right next to me. We were playing soccer and he had a heart condition from the time he was born and he just fell over and had a heart attack and I literally watched him die on the playground because I, I just refused to leave until the ambulance came and took him away. And um, and in my family's life, um, about 10 years later in 1987 was when my grandfather died, the first person close to me that passed away. And then in 1997, his wife, my grandmother died. And then in 2007, my mother died. And then in 2017, my father died. And every 10 years, I seem to deal with a death in the family. Of course, as a pastor, one of the things that we do is funerals. And I have done more funerals than I can remember, actually. More than I thought I would have by this age. My very first funeral was a baby, an infant, that was just lived to be a couple days old and then died. And that was my very first funeral. And my last one was of a dear saint who lived a long and full life. And I've done everything in between. And one of the passages that I like to use, one of the places I go to during these times, is the story that we're going to look at this morning. The narrative found in John chapter 11, And this morning, we're going to hear it read for us by my wife, Jennifer. And if you'd like to read along while she's reading, I encourage you to open to the book of John, chapter 11. We're not going to have it on the screen this morning because I want to invite you also, if you'd like to, just listen to just sit back, maybe even close your eyes, imagine and picture the story of what's happening, put yourself in it as an observer, even as a participant, and let yourself experience the emotions and the power of this narrative. It's the story of Jesus raising his friend, Lazarus. So let's hear it as it's read to us from the Message Translation by Jennifer.
1: A man was sick, Lazarus, of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. This was the same Mary who massaged the Lord's feet with aromatic oils and then wiped them with her hair. It was her brother, Lazarus, who was sick. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Master, the one you love so very much is sick. When Jesus got the message, he said, this sickness is not fatal. It will become an occasion to show God's glory by glorifying God's son. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But oddly, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed on where he was for two more days. After the two days, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. They said, Rabbi, you can't do that. The Jews are out to kill you, and you're going back? Jesus replied, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in daylight doesn't stumble because there's plenty of light from the sun. Walking at night, he might very well stumble because he can't see where he's going. He said these things and then announced, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to wake him up. The disciples said, Master, if he's gone to sleep, he'll get a good rest and he'll wake up feeling fine. Jesus was talking about death, while his disciples thought he was talking about taking a nap. Then Jesus became explicit. Lazarus died, and I am glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. You're about to be given new grounds for believing. Now let's go to him. That's when Thomas, the one called the Twin, said to his companions, come along, we might as well die with him. When Jesus finally got there, he found Lazarus already four days dead. Bethany was near Jerusalem, only a couple of miles away, and many of the Jews were visiting Martha and Mary, sympathizing with them over their brother. Martha heard Jesus was coming and went out to meet him. Mary remained in the house. Martha said, master, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask God, he will give you. Jesus said, your brother will be raised up. Martha replied, I know that he will be raised up in the resurrection at the end of time. You don't have to wait for the end. I am, right now, resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. Do you believe this? Yes, Master. All along I have believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. After saying this, she went to her sister Mary and whispered in her ear, The teacher is here and is asking for you. The moment she heard that, she jumped up and ran out to him. Jesus had not yet entered the town, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When her sympathizing Jewish friends saw Mary run off, they followed her, thinking she was on her way to the tomb to weep there. Mary came to where Jesus was waiting and fell at his feet, saying, Master, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews with her sobbing, a deep anger welled up within him. He said, where did you put him? Master, come and see, they said. Now Jesus wept. The Jews said, look how deeply he loved him. Others among them said, well, if he loved him so much, Why didn't he do something to keep him from dying? After all, he opened the eyes of a blind man. Then Jesus, the anger again welling up within him, arrived at the tomb. It was a simple cave in the hillside with a slab of stone laid against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. The sister of the dead man, Martha, said, Master, uh, by this time there's a stench. He's been dead four days. Jesus looked her in the eye. Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. Then to the others, go ahead, take away the stone. They removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and prayed, Father, I'm grateful that you have listened to me. I know you always do listen, but on account of this crowd standing here, I've spoken so that they might believe that you sent me. And then he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And he came out, a cadaver wrapped from head to toe and with a kerchief over his face. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him loose.
0: Amen. Amen. You know, this story is about death and life. And I believe that God wants us to have a new perspective on the most important things that we experience, which is death and life. You see, our, our perspective is limited. And our perspective is the way we see things, the way we think about things, it's limited, it's finite. God's perspective is infinite and eternal. And if we need to shift a perspective from ours to God's, then we need the help of Jesus Christ. He is the one that does that for us. You see, Jesus Christ, by his followers, by his friends, Mary and Martha, who are also his followers, was called the master, the rabbi meaning a teacher or maestro. And Jesus also being the son of God means that Jesus was the greatest, most brilliant teacher that ever lived on the face of the earth. He is the one who can guide us to a proper perspective and understanding of death and life. It's Jesus that teaches us how to really live, how to live a life that is worth living, how to live an abundant life. And we learn by watching what he did and listening to the words that he said. But more than teaching us how to live, Jesus also taught us how to die. For in the Gospels, we find the story of Jesus entering into death as a sacrifice of love for our sake and for the entire world. And we see the way that he even agonized the night before he was to die. And we see in him and in his teachings what death truly is and what it means. But we also see Jesus teaching us how to live after death. Now, of course, I am talking about eternal life, that life that begins now and never ends. And this story is really beginning to upend our human understanding of what is life and what is death and is there life after death. But I believe that within this story, there is something that is also for us today in our daily lives. And it is simply this, that we will all experience death before we die. Let me say that again. We will all experience many types of deaths before we die. And maybe it will be the death of someone that we love or someone that we know. But there are those moments, there are those times when the pain is so deep and the sorrow is so great that we say to ourselves, I don't know if I can go on. Does anybody know what that feels like this morning? Or have you ever had a situation where, like Mary and Martha, you said, God, if you were only here, God, if you had only answered my prayer, God, where were you when I needed you the most? The cry and the anguish of our heart makes us realize that in our life we suffer losses of all kinds. It might be uh, going through the loss of a marriage or a relationship. Divorce is a type of death and grief. It might be watching our children or other people that we love suffer. It might be the loss of a job or a position or of money. It might be when we have the doors to our dreams slammed shut in our face. It might be when someone rejects us or walks away from us. There are many kinds of deaths and losses that we experience. In this life, And the question that I want to answer for you this morning, that God wants to answer for you this morning, is that when something really deep and dark happens in our life where we feel like we can't go on, how do we live after that? How do we go on living after such a death has occurred in our life? And I believe that Jesus gives us the answers and the examples to follow. The first thing I want to focus on as we look at this story is the emotions that Jesus experienced, meaning that the emotions he went through allows him to completely understand the emotions that we're going through. Do you see the pain in this story? Do you hear the pain in Mary and Martha whom Jesus loved? I mean, when he was on earth, they were so close and tight with him. And Lazarus was one of his best friends while he was in human form. And they come with their pain and they come with their anguish. And they say, Jesus, if you had only been here. And Jesus allows himself to feel their pain. He doesn't criticize them. He doesn't rebuke them. But he embraces their pain and then invites them into a greater understanding of what is happening. We also see Jesus getting angry in this story. Did you notice? The reason one of the reasons I had the message translation read is because that in the original language, this deep troubling of Jesus spirit was really anger. It was anger that Jesus began to feel at this situation. Now, when we experience this, we can often get angry at God or we can get angry at the person who has died and left us. Right. Jesus anger is not directed at God and it's not directed at Lazarus or his friends, but his anger is rather directed at death itself. The last enemy, the greatest enemy we think of the human race whom Jesus is about to defeat. Jesus' anger is that death is in this world because it's not supposed to be this way. Death came in because of sin. It came in because of the curse of the fall of humanity. But Jesus is deeply troubled. He's angry that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. He understands our pain and he understands our anger. And then we come to the shortest verse in the Bible. And the one that lets me know it's okay to shed tears. <laughs> Jesus wept. Two simple words. And it's not just that Jesus shed a tear. It's that he sobbed. He was weeping. He was doing that kind of, you know, uh, really ugly crying, he used to call it, you know, where nothing just looks right and you're just letting everything out. Jesus Christ himself sat down and experienced the fullness of the pain, the anger, and the sadness that that moment represented for everyone involved. And therefore, because of the example of our master, our rabbi, our teacher and maestro, we also have the permission and the space to be sad and to be angry and to grieve and to experience all of the emotions that we need to in the moment. For some people, we, they try to deny their emotions. And that's what doesn't allow us to live the life God wants us to live because we're trying to deny that we really feel some kind of way. Or we're we're trying to run away from the emotions too quickly. Or we're trying to numb the pain instead of experiencing the pain and understanding that God is there with us in the pain. What Jesus does, first of all, is he comes and he sits down with us in the middle of our deepest pain. But what I also notice is that while we have a Savior, who is able to identify with every single thing that we've gone through, Jesus doesn't sit there forever. At some point, he gets up. And he goes to the grave. Do you know what I'm saying? At some point he makes a decision. And he gets up and he says, yes, I can experience all of these emotions. But now there is a time when I am going to do something. When I am going to get up from my grief. There's a time to grieve. And there's a time to get up from our grief. Do you know what I'm talking about? And for some people today, I believe that God may be saying to you, I understand what you're going through. I understand the pain that you've been in. I understand more than you realize how grieved you are. And how deeply sad you are. And I am with you in the middle of it. But there's going to come a day, friends. And I'm praying that for someone, it might even be today, when God says, it's time to get up. You've been in that grave too long. Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. And Jesus said, he's been there long enough. It's time to get up. And it's time to get him out. And for some of us, we need to know when that time comes. That there's a time to sit and be sad. But there's a time to get up and get out and to walk out. Because let me tell you there's One thing that I've learned and I know is true when you're in a difficult situation, sometimes the best way out is through. Yeah, amen. Sometimes the best way out is through. There's no escape hatch to the right or to the left. There's no going back. There's only one thing to do. It's to get up as hard as it is and to go forward and to move through it. But friends, the message of hope and love this morning is that you will never be alone. For if you make a decision, to believe and trust in Jesus Christ, he will be with you every single step of the way. So in order to really live life, in order for our perspective to shift, we need to, one, embrace our emotions, all the emotions that we feel, knowing that Christ understands. And then two, we need to make a decision, right? Because ultimately it's our decisions that guide our lives. It's not even what we think because, well, let me put it this way. We pastors, we like to get together, you know, and talk about our congregations. I hope I'm not sharing anything out of turn here. But one thing pastors always say is that people are going to do what they want to do. It doesn't matter how well you preach. It doesn't matter how well you understand. People are going to do what they want to do. You know what that means? That means that you and and I, and I'm with you in this, we can have all the right information, right? We can know the right decision to make. We can even feel motivated to make the right decision. But we've got this really wonderful, quirky, human ability to just do what we want to do, to just decide... You know, it's our will that ultimately guides our lives, right? I mean, we we think, oh, if I just give someone all the information, then they'll make the right decision. Well, yes and no. Or if someone just felt the right emotions, they would make the right decision. Well, yes and no. Sometimes, and some of you know this, maybe most of you know this, sometimes haven't you just made a decision and you're not even sure why you did it? Because you didn't feel like doing it and it didn't make sense to you, but you went ahead and did it. Because we have this capacity to exercise our will to make a decision about what we're going to do in our lives. So Jesus is showing us that we can experience all of the emotion. We can know the right theological answers. But at some point, we need to make a decision to get up to proclaim God's truth and to live it out. And to walk forward. That's the power. That's the power of the resurrection life. That's the power of a new life. And what is the decision? I believe quite, quite simply today, friends, that Jesus Christ is calling us to one decision, the, the most important decision, the decision that I challenge you to make today and every day of your life. And it's the decision to trust and believe in Jesus Christ. Amen. To trust and believe in Jesus Christ. It's difficult to trust, isn't it? For in those moments of hardship, we have a decision to make. Will I turn away from God or will I turn to God? Will I trust him, right? Will I do something to try to escape the pain or will I allow Jesus to meet me in the middle of my pain, right? We have a decision to make to trust or not to trust. And it's quite understandable to me that people that decide not to trust in God because you feel like God has let you down. You feel like God has not been there for you. You've been hurt by other people. And it's hard to trust when you've been hurt, when you've been betrayed, when you've been let down, when things have not worked out the way that you thought they would work out because you thought you were doing all the right things. And in spite of that, you're going through a very difficult, painful thing in your life. And it's hard to trust. And sometimes people say, I'm only going to trust myself. But even those people have a hard time trusting themselves. And then the fear sets in and we're not sure who we can trust. But Jesus Christ is asking us to make a decision. Will you trust me? When Mary and Martha, the sisters, came out to him, and they are upset and they're grieving and they're saying, Jesus, we wish you would have been here. He's saying, will you trust me? I am the resurrection and the life. Will you trust me that I'm here now and that something is about to happen now? You see, we need to trust that there's hope and there's always hope because the end of life is when we believe that there's no hope anymore. When we're convinced or convinced ourselves that there is zero hope, there is no hope, that it is truly over for us. But friends, hope is alive because Jesus is alive. And there's always hope. It may be small. It may be like just one of these tiny little candles. It may just be a hope that's flickering. But Jesus says, I I can deal with that. I can take the small. It's okay. You only have the faith of a small mustard seed. I can take that. It's all right. Watch what I can do with that amount of faith. You only have a little bit of hope. You feel like you're just barely hanging on. I'm not going to snuff out a smoldering wick. I'm not going to break a bruised reed. But I'm the God who's going to take whatever is small, whatever is broken, and I'm going to make it right. (laughs) And I'm going to show you that hope is alive. Excuse me, because I am alive. I am the resurrection and the life. Notice this question to the sisters. Do you believe? Do you believe? That is the question that the presence of God in this room is asking each and every one of you this morning. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? And do you believe that he's on his way? Do you believe that he's on his way to you this morning? Another fascinating part of this story to me is the fact that Jesus doesn't come right away. Jesus doesn't come right away. Again, the narrative says when he heard the news that his friend, the one that he had loved, was dead, oddly, he waited. He delayed till he was dead four days to go. And isn't that how we feel sometimes that God is delaying in answering our prayers, right? That somehow God is not yet moving. But today I want you to know that God is always at work and that he had a purpose in that. For he told his disciples, listen, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there on your time. Because you're about to be given grounds for new belief. Something better is about to happen. So you need to know this this morning, that some of you are praying to God for something, and God has not yet answered you. But it's because he has something better for you, and you need to believe that. You need to trust that. But the reason you're not getting your answer is because God has something better for you. Before I moved to Connecticut when I was pastoring in Ohio and I knew that I needed to leave a very difficult situation that I was in, I was seeking God's direction. And there was a church in Columbus, Ohio that I really wanted to go work at and I loved that church and they said no to me and I said, "How can you say no to me? This is horrible And I was all upset. But if God had said yes to that, I never would have made it to Connecticut. I never would be here today because God had something better for me. God delayed in his answer. Some of you right here, I'm speaking to some of you because right now you're seeking God. You're asking God for an answer and you don't feel like God has heard you. You feel like he's taking his time. You don't think he understands how important this is to you right now. You're not sure that he's really on the case at the moment, but you need to know that he is already working at it. He already knows what he's going to do and he's got something better for you. Jesus has a purpose that he's always on time. You've got to trust that. You've got to make a decision to trust and believe that Jesus is always, always on time. That when he shows up is the exact right time that he needs to show up in your life and to do what he's about to do. We need to trust and believe. And again, belief is believing that Jesus Christ offers us life, true life. Jesus Christ engaged in this whole situation because he had a purpose, right? And in his purpose, he wanted to show that that he was more than just this great miracle worker prophet that the people thought. But there was something even more to Jesus Christ, that he truly was the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the Messiah, Savior, God in the flesh, come to earth. Because Jesus had healed the blind. Jesus had made the lame to walk. Jesus had performed other miracles, but raising someone from the dead is another thing entirely. And waiting until they were four days dead, until they had covered the cave with the stone, until it was done done, he wasn't just sick, he didn't just trip and fall, he hadn't fainted, he wasn't going to be revived, he was dead, 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 and Jesus came to show that he had the power even over death. And that's why he said, I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there because I'm about to reveal to you who I am. But catch this. This was before Jesus himself died. So when Jesus comes to that grave, that physical grave, and he says, roll the stone away, and he calls out Lazarus' names, Lazarus, come out. And I love what one old preacher said back in the day. He called his name Lazarus because if he had just said come out, the whole grave would have come out. Everybody would have come up (laughs) out of the ground. He had to specify who he was talking to in that moment. Lazarus, my friend, you, I want you to come out, right? And Lazarus was raised to life. And he was wrapped. 'Cause they wrapped cadavers. He had all the grave clothes on him. And he, he could and and Jesus said, What are you guys standing around looking at? And I'd be like, Come on, Jesus. <laughs> you just raised a dude from the dead, you know. And he's like, Take the grave clothes off of him. And they go and they unwrap him and they see that he's restored to life. Powerful, powerful stuff. But that's before Jesus goes to the cross. Because then not too long after that, Jesus enters into that journey to the cross. Where he dies a sacrifice for us on the cross. And Jesus himself enters that cave, enters that grave, right? And Jesus himself has the stone rolled over his resting place. But then Jesus, by his own word and power, comes up out of the grave. And now everything has changed. For friends, if that is true, then everything in your life Jesus. If it's not true, then we're wasting our time here. And we might as well be out doing other things to try to get by the best we can with no hope and no love and no joy in this world. But because Jesus rose from the dead, he said death is not the end anymore. Death is not the final word. It's not the end of the story. The enemy has been defeated. In fact, you all will die one day. But those who believe in me, even though they die, they will live. They will truly live again. Because I have the power over life and death. And I will bring you back. Life and we need to understand that Jesus operated in that way with Lazarus to show us who he was and give us the hope that we can trust and believe in him and then he proved it all by rising himself from the dead and he appeared to his followers and then he ascended into heaven and the Bible tells us that Jesus from that place in heaven will come back again one day the Holy Spirit of Jesus is present with us every moment everywhere but the body of Jesus is with God the Father right now. And the resurrected body of Jesus is coming again. And what does it say he'll do when he comes again, friends, right? It says that the dead in Christ but rise first. Come on, are you with me? Do you understand that while we may not get that experience they had then, all of us are going to enter into the grave at some point, right? And it won't be on this side of the grave, but it'll be on the other side of the grave that Jesus stands, because death is a path. It starts here, but it leads us to something else. And Jesus will stand on the other side of the path, and he will say, I'm coming again, and I'm calling out your name. He's like, Alyssa, it's time to come up. Josh, it's time to come up. He's calling out the names of everyone, just as he called the name of Lazarus. And he said, I am giving you life that will never, ever, ever end. Do you trust and believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life today? It's the decision that God invites us to make. No matter who we are, because he understands every single emotion that we have. He understands every experience that we can go through. Everything that you've been through and are going to go through, Jesus Christ can understand that to the fullest. And he still invites you to make a decision to trust and believe that he is the resurrection and that he is the life. And this changes everything. And what I'm thinking this morning is, in spite of what you're going through, or because you're going through it, will you trust and believe in Jesus Christ? Will you believe that that Jesus Christ is always on time, he has a purpose? he understands, he sits with you in your pain and then he takes your hand and raises you up and begins to walk with you through what you're walking through. Do you believe that? That's, that's the question that I believe is echoing across the pages of time into our ears today. You hear Jesus whispering to you, do you believe? Do you believe? I have the resurrection and the life. Do you believe? I'm going to invite you to meditate on this for just a moment. So I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to, to just close your eyes for a minute, but you don't have to. Just think about what you're going through right now. But think about what you've been through recently. Think about what you're experiencing, that you're crying out to God and saying, God, please answer me. If only you had shown up. Where is your pain this morning? Where are things difficult and dark this morning? And then I want to invite you in the middle of that to hear the voice of Jesus whispering in your ear, I am the resurrection and the life. Not just for when you die and go to heaven, but I'm the resurrection and the life right now. For the situation you are in right now, for the relationship you are in right now, for whatever you're going through right now, I am. I am. I am the resurrection. And the life. Do you believe? Do you believe that this morning? For if you believe that and receive Jesus in your life, he will give you a new life. You will wake up as if you were asleep into a new life that will begin now and never, ever, ever end. So I want to invite anyone this morning, for whatever reason, to pray a prayer of decision and belief this morning. To pray to God and say, I believe, Jesus, that you are the resurrection and the life. I trust you with my life. Fill me with hope and with your Holy Spirit. And I'm hoping and praying that some of you will pray that prayer for the very first time today and know the power and presence of God. And I'm praying that some of you will pray that prayer for the 15th or 500th time this morning and remember the source of all life, Jesus Christ. So for whatever reason, I invite as many of you as would like to join me in your hearts in this prayer. Just say, Jesus, I believe that you are the resurrection and the life. Jesus, I trust you with my life. God, fill me with hope and with your Holy Spirit. Amen. And with no one looking, I just ask you, if you prayed that prayer this morning, would you just raise your hand really quick so I can just know how God is working and I can continue to pray for you this morning. Amen. That's your prayer this morning. I believe you, man. Lord God, I pray for every single person, God, that today is choosing to believe and trust in you. God, that you would fill them with hope. Hope even as small as a candle, but hope that will begin to burn a little brighter today because of your presence in their life. Lord, I pray for all those that feel far away from you, that they would feel that they are being drawn closer to you this morning, Lord God. Lord God, I pray that you would be so real and so present, God, that you would fill again with your Holy Spirit every single person here, God, that is opening up their heart and their mind and their life to you. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks and we give you praise this morning. And then I'm going to pause for just a minute in this spirit of prayer. And I'm going to ask you to listen because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak some very specific things to you. So will you please just listen in this moment?